welcome to the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is your host, Ron Jacobus. We hope you enjoy these conversations on executive protection and security management as we meet with security practitioners and industry thought leaders. All right, welcome everybody to episode number 14 of the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is your host, Ron Jacobus, and today I am joined by Christopher Powell, a security professional and retired U.S. Army counterintelligence and ground reconnaissance special agent. Chris is the founder of Frontier ICS, a counterintelligence security and leadership consultancy, but he also works as a situational awareness specialist and applied verbal de-escalation instructor with the Akuri Group. And uh, Chris, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast with us today. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to diving into the world of situational awareness. Um, as you know, situational awareness can be used in a lot of contexts. And uh, you guys do some fascinating work, not just for uh, security professionals, but also for everyday individuals. So uh, looking forward to tapping into all of this with you today. First, uh, thank you for letting me be here. It's fantastic. Absolutely. We've been looking forward to having you on and uh, and here you are. So why don't we kick off this conversation by stepping back a little bit to your military career and then work our way to uh, present day where you now serve as a security practitioner and situational awareness instructor. You know, where did it start in the military? How did you decide to progress over into the private sector and continue your work today? So really, it all started when, uh, when I first joined the military. I was a combat guy. I was a scout. So doing ground reconnaissance. Uh, Attention to detail and situational awareness was was key. You know, maybe they didn't use the terms as specific back in like the 90s. Um, it was very defined as far as like, hey, you, you need to be able to grasp the, as much of the environment as you possibly can. Uh, and from that environment, make a, you know, a decision, if you will, on a, where we're going, how we're going to do it. Um, and then also once you get eyes on the enemy, you know, composition, disposition and so on, be able to report that back effectively. So that kind of kicked it off. And then later on, you know, years down the road, about a decade, I went to the Army Reconnaissance course. Uh, it's a very um, advanced leadership development course for scouts specifically. Um, I did pretty well in it. And at the end, they were kind of like, hey, have you ever considered looking at something a little more different? Um, and then I was approached for counterintelligence. So uh, long story short, put in a packet, got accepted, went to the course, graduated the agent's course. Uh, first assignment was downrange. I was in the Middle East working a field office through Southwest Asia. So needless to say, situation awareness was extremely key back then because at the most it was like two of us. Um, so we had to be aware of not just, you know, obviously the viable threat, uh, but obviously foreign intelligence services and so on. You know, people collecting on you, not just always trying to grab you. Um, so it just kind of kind of began to focus from there. Uh, but at the time, even though we had training, it wasn't very structured like it is now. Um, so it's just kind of a, a natural instinct to kind of baseline the environment. So then at that point, kind of gather the anomalies and you're trying to grasp it as fast as you can, right? So, you know, when I'm back home in Texas, it's one thing. I know what normal looks like because I was born and raised there. You know, it's different when you go to another country and you're like first exposed. You're trying to like, how do I baseline this? I don't even know what, you know, I don't know what right looks like, you know? Um, so you got to learn to listen to your gut, you know, that limbic system, that animal instinct. And from there, it just kind of morphed into the point where I got another opportunity to go through assessment selection, uh, ended up in a special operations unit. Uh, I spent the last about seven and a half years before I retired doing that. And that's where it really started to drill down the the science behind it. Um, and really touching, like I said, on the Olympic system and so on. Uh, so fast forward, um, I'm literally on LinkedIn. I already had my company Homefront ISC going. And uh, an individual from a career group reached out and was like, hey, I want to talk to you a little bit. I looked at their training. They were like, hey, we, we'd love to have you on board. We like your background. 
Um, well, we want to put you through the training and, you know, and basically like, what do you think? Um, and I got to tell you, it was, um, it kind of floored me at first. I was like, okay, here we go. Another death by PowerPoint, if you will, you know, like, what do they know? That kind of thing. Um, and they really hit the training was so, so focused on situation awareness. I never realized you could put that together without having to just kind of, you know, take people out and kind of walk through some training and kind of, that's how you do it, you know? Um, and they didn't. So it, it really touched on a lot of the scientific aspects, but at a point where the training could be applied across, you name an industry and you can absolutely apply it. Um, and what I like too, is there's not a, there's not an age demographic that's a focus of it either, you know, so it's from college kids to like the elderly. I mean, I, I don't care what you think your limitations are. Um, and, uh, and regardless of what your background is, I've never met anybody so far that hasn't pulled something from it. Um, and from there, it just kind of stuck where I was like, I, I love this, you know, like I, I've always liked to teach anyways. Um, so this allows me to use my real world experience. Now I see what it looks like in a formal text uh, and to be able to say, hey, this is what I do. This is where this applied and this is how I was able to use it. And I'm still breathing, you know, like this, this really worked out. Um, and it really allowed me to also kind of discuss with some professionals like yourself and so on that, that understand situational awareness is that is the baseline. Like once you grasp that, then allows you to apply everything else and get to those decisions and react quicker, you know, on those tactics and everything that we learn. I just, I love how you kind of just took us into the deep end of the pool with you there for a moment. Um, but for our, our, our listeners who are perhaps new to this topic or have a very basic grasp on situational awareness principles, um, can you go ahead and just take a moment to define what situational awareness is? I know this is a struggle um, for a lot of people when they ask, hey, what's situational awareness or how do I become situationally aware? And, and they often get the, well, it's situational awareness or you just you need to be situationally aware. And it doesn't really help when, you know, practitioners put the title in the definition. Um, so can you break that down a little bit for us? What is it? How is it applied? How is it relevant um, to everybody in the world today? Yeah. So basically what we've decided is um, it's just being in the moment, being mindful of your environment. Um, and it's the ability to be able to, to look at the environment without having to be so deliberate, you know, like you don't want to walk outside and you're just scanning, you know, from like left to right. And you're trying to grasp everything you can. You're, you're just going to get inundated with so much information from all your senses that essentially we created a platform to basically identify how the body will naturally grasp that. Um, and the best way to break it down would say like, you know, as I'm sitting here right now, I'm not consciously thinking about, you know, the socks on my feet, you know, the clothes that I'm wearing, the way the air conditioner feels when it hits me, but my body's grasping all that information, the smells that are around me and so on, you know, but I'm, I'm more conscious on the conversation that we're having, the words that are coming out and how you react to it. Right. Um, but understanding that my body's processing all that allows me to relax a little bit and trust that my senses are going to pick up like an anomaly, like if I smell, you know, smoke in a hallway. That I'm not going to be like, oh, wait, I have to shift. And now i got to think about it. And, you know, like I automatically know, like, obviously something's not right. And I'm able to react to it. Um, and that's the way we were able to kind of couch this and put it in something. So that way it, it transfers across all industries, like I said, uh, so that it's not so formatted to like the tactically inclined. Like you have to come from the veteran background. You got to come from the law enforcement background. So. You know, that's pretty interesting. Uh, and certainly when you look at the security industry and the people who comprise it, not everyone came from, you know, law enforcement or the military. Um, and even when you look at the government sector, you know, those three letter agencies, um, they're not necessarily looking for people who have, you know, a criminal justice degree or served in the military. They'll take people from a variety of backgrounds with that understanding 
um, especially situational awareness amongst other skills can be taught to a wider pool of applicants than, you know, exclusively to a law enforcement or military candidate pool. Um, you know, and, and to your credit over at, you know, the Akuri group, y'all recognize that situational awareness can be applied to such a broad base of industries beyond, you know, just the security industry. Um, now with all that said, one of the several situational awareness hot topics has, has been, you know, the gray man. And, uh, we've certainly seen it tossed around in LinkedIn posts and other social media platforms highlighting, you know, some of the benefits, uh, to being able to operate in an environment without drawing undue attention to yourself, your team, and in a protective security, you know, context, your client, um, as we kind of see the overt model security kind of transition to a low vis, low pro kind of style of protective security, you know, how, have you guys integrated that, the gray man concept into your training? Yeah, perfect question. So we actually have a whole portion dedicated to like the gray man. Um, and we actually do it from two different perspectives. So we actually do it from the predatory perspective. Uh, so when you understand what it is that they're looking for, it allows you to kind of put that mirror up in front of you. Um, and you can do a, a great self-assessment to say, you know, do I look like a soft target or what do I look like, you know? Um, and it's not bad to look switched on, as we would say, you know, like, oh, you obviously look aware, you walk with confidence, you know where you're going, you got a purpose and so on. Um, it really takes away from the predator's um, sight on you. It's kind of like, ah, eh, you, you might be too much to deal with. I'm going to look for somebody else. But at the same time, but we really push it to let you understand that, like, hey, those that are have been long in the game as a predator, if you will, um, from everything from like the minor crimes, the pickpockets to like the heinous, you know, acts of violence. Um, they practice the gray man as well, right? Like they're trying to hide in the shadows, if you will, to be able to pick their target. So you got to understand that, that they're practicing it um, as much as we are, right? Uh, and sometimes they're even better at it. So it's really hard to pick them out. So that being said is why we try to teach as much from a, um, a threat perspective. So you understand like, hey, even if you can't pick them out by you being able to do the following, right? It alleviates you from that pool of prospects, right? And then they'll go on to somebody else um, and the big thing with us operating as a gray man. So from the world I left, you know, when you say the gray man, it, you just you just want to blend in with the background, right? We call it the fifty-one percent rule. You know, if you walk up to a crosswalk and say it's New York City, right? They're not going to wait for it to turn green and tell you to come across. They're just going to wait for no cab to be coming. So the fifty-one percent is doing it. You're walking with them, right? You don't want to be the last guy just standing on the curb, you know. Um, so it's just being able to gauge that environment and be able to kind of blend in, um, and you just. There's just no anomalies. You just don't stand out at all. You just kind of fade away. Nobody would remember you later on. Um, and we, we try to teach from that perspective of like, hey, there's not you know, certain spy tactics that you got to do. You know, the James Bonds, the Jake, you know, what do you really call the Jack Bowers, the Jason, Bo any JB, right? So um, trying to push you into that. We're just trying to say like, hey, it's very easy to fall into the background, but just a few things that you need to be cognizant of um, to just take you off that, that target board, if you will. So that predator will have to look for somebody else. You just don't fit that that profile that he's looking for or she's looking for. So, Yeah. And, and you know, I, I can't help but chuckle uh, when you bring up, you know, Jack Bauer and James Bond and these different Hollywood personas. Because um, as you know, specifically, James Bond isn't exactly known for blending into his environments. He's more known as being the flashy guy, driving the expensive and fast cars, and certainly coming from the world that you operated in while serving in the military. Um, I'm sure it can get just to be a point of pure comedy as you watch some of these composite characters um, who, you know, have like a dozen people's jobs kind of jammed into this single character. Um, 
And while we know it, it plays well on screen, that's definitely not how it plays out in real life. Um, and now, kind of speaking about real life, this is a great segue to discuss a little bit about you know reality-based training. And uh, it's something that I know you guys have a very good reputation of. And for our audience that, you know, maybe listening today, thinking about, you know, where are they going to invest their training budgets for the rest of this year and even into next year, um, I think it'd be beneficial to uh, to touch base on this a little bit, explain, you know, kind of how your team at a Curry Group uh, goes to, you know, such lengths and effort to develop and provide reality-based trainings that are intended to be used by, you know, the students in a real-world setting after they've completed your courses. It's not just something that you put on a shelf or put into a certificate and, and never go on to use again. Yeah. So when we have people reach out and they ask like, hey, we, we want to take this for a group or so on, or even if it's one-on-one, right? You know, if they just say they just sign up online and they're like, hey, I'm going to attend. Um, we always ask like, hey, who, who's in the room, you know, um, and try to get a background of where everybody's at. So we kind of understand where they're coming from to be able to articulate like, hey, this is where it's applicable, right? So uh because we run into cases where, uh, well, perfect example, in July, I'm going to go teach out at a uh, education summit. Um, so I'm going to be talking to nothing but a bunch of faculty, right? Um, you know, and the big thing with them is, you know, active shooter, active shooter, right? That's like, that's huge, right? Um, but the thing is, 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 you know, how do we, how do we take it away from being so focused on this is what I do when I'm in the school to like, hey, but what when you work late and you got to go to the gas pump and you're by yourself? You know, kind of the, it's it's those like, hey, this thing's applicable throughout your entire day. It's not just in the workplace for workplace violence. It's it's literally like, you know, lock your doors when you're there. You know, be aware of who's around you. Don't look on your cell phone when you're walking on the sidewalk. Um, and then we can take it all the way to the level of, uh, you know, a, a former tier one operator. You know, if they're asking questions about, hey, you know, once I get into a room and I'm trying to take a position of dominance where I'm at, well, it lends credibility to where I've been before to be able to say, hey, man, I, I know where you're coming from. You know, what kit are you rolling in with? And it's like, oh, this is it. This is kind of where we're sitting on the operation. I can say, okay, well, here's what I've done before managing assets. We moved here, we've done this. Um, so, luckily for us at a Curry Group, we have a broad range of backgrounds um, from several years. So, it's very easy for if I can't personally say, like, oh, I know where you're coming from, I could easily reach out and be like, hey, what do you got? And they're like, hey, man, perfect example. When I was a firefighter, I did this, and this is where I work with them. I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to use that example. And it allows me to relate to them. Um, and that way they can actually apply it to their self. But the big thing is just not putting it in a situational awareness format where it's like, it's at this moment and this time, this is how you use it. I don't know really what to tell you from, you know, eight o'clock in the morning to noon. I don't know what's, you know. So it's it's basically like, hey, man, this this is, it's constant. It's consistent until you get to that point where you're like, I'm willing to shut my brain off. You know, I'm going to lay down and I'm ready to go to sleep and I feel safe and comfortable, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but until then, yeah, this is something that should be able to apply throughout the day, um, but not keep you so paranoid that you're just constantly looking over your shoulder. That's that's another big thing that we don't want to do. Um, it's by all means, it's not a fear mongering course. Um, it's very much like, no, it's just realistic. It's the world that we live in. Um, and it's from everything, like I said, from the petty crime to the worst case scenario, just just so you're mentally rehearsed and prepared for it. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the fear-based training because while you know the media likes to feed off this kind of narrative, uh, our understanding is that being so fearful of your environment to the point you're at that heightened fight, flight, or freeze state just isn't going to allow you to operate like you really should be able to. And you're you're just definitely not going to be in a position to dominate 
with that level of continued and compounding mental stress. Um, so over time and experience, you know, we tend to really become masters in calmly navigating through chaotic environments. Um, it's, you know, an interesting dynamic. And could you kind of speak on how individuals can funnel out the noise, so to speak, so they aren't, you know, overly stimulated while working and understanding how best to filter what they see, hear, feel, and otherwise soak in, you know, the world around them as they work these environments? Yeah, great question. Um, so the way I always try to approach it and the way I've always taught it is uh, if you're going to somewhere new, right, usually it's not a last minute. Most people don't get told at three by three thirty, you need to be in something brand new. You've never been before. You know, it's, it's just not really feasible. Um, so for me, I'm like, hey, the Internet actually does some great things. Uh, and I'm like, do as much research as you possibly can, especially when we deal with international travel uh, and things like that. Or people going to larger cities, it's it's too easy to Google like a crime overlay for an area and be like, hey, I know exactly where I'm driving and not driving before I get there. Um, and then obviously knowing where like those emergency facilities are while I'm there, big anchor points for the city and so on. And it really takes minimal research. So that way you're not trying to, you know, memorize, you know, terabytes worth of data, you know, leaving out the door or driving like, oh, I forget where all this stuff's at. You know, it, it's very simplistic. Um and a big thing too for us is is just the mental rehearsals. You know, what's the likelihood? You know, what what's the most common thing that happens? You know, um, and it really puts it in a perspective of instead of always looking around for the violent threat to jump out, it's also the little things like you know inclement weather. You know, I'm driving to Houston, and all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, it was great where I was at, but I'm two hours north, and now I'm driving into a thunderstorm. So what is it going to look like once I hit the interstate? You know. So with that being said, it's it's getting that mindset of like, hey, how do you prep for that? You know, what do I have in my vehicle just in case? You know, how long am I going to be down there? Do I have emergency contacts already set? Obviously, most of us have driven in the rain before, so you know what to expect, that kind of thing. Um, and it's just kind of letting yourself relax that most things you're going to encounter are not going to be new. Um, and it's just understanding, like, hey, you've dealt with this before. It just may be at a different speed. Uh, and just don't be surprised about it. That's that's our big thing. It's just don't let it be a surprise to you. So you're just frozen in the moment, you know, like you've already had some level of like a mental rehearsal, if you will. So that way, you know what decision needs to be made, because at least your mind's already been there. We tell everybody your body will not go where your mind hasn't been. So you you have to understand how that how that works. And once you've seen yourself do it, it's just easier to get there, right? The decision's going to be made, you'll, you'll react a lot quicker. Yeah, you know, reaching back to uh, to my law enforcement academy days, um, we had an awesome tactics instructor whose favorite debrief reminder was the body will readily go where the mind has already been. It's a great quote, um, and especially in this context, um, I know you've already touched on it a little bit on mental prep, but uh, what are some things that both security and non-security professionals can do to mentally prepare themselves well before they ever physically step foot into an environment? Okay. Yeah. So I'll tell you, um, for me, uh, mental rehearsal and actually just doing a walkthrough was key when I was in the military. Um, when we were working in high threat environments, we were going to say pick up like an asset or somebody um, that we weren't sure how they were going to react. And there was only like two of us in a car. Uh, we went as far as like prepping the seat where they sat, where the driver was going to be, what type of defensive measures were between them. Um, and we walked through all the worst case scenarios, you know, like what if this guy like jumps out and starts screaming, these guys are trying to kidnap me. And it's in a language we don't fully understand, right? In a country we're really not supposed to be in, you know? Um, so with that, it's it's what are, what are our actions going to be? Uh, and we walk through all of it. And we just kind of played it out from most likely to most dangerous. Um, and then with this, with the Curry Group, we we literally walk it even backwards from that. 
you know, like I said, I'll, I'll use the gas pump thing again. You know, it's like you pull into a gas pump, it's late at night. You know, obviously you should scan it before you pull in there. And if you're the only car, well, now you're looking for an individual because you haven't seen the automobile, you know. Uh, so when you get out to pump the gas, you know, take a look around before you exit the vehicle. I would lock it, you know, on the way out so somebody doesn't slide in from the passenger seat, you know, and it's just role playing. Like, you know, what could somebody do at this moment that could take me, you know, off guard or, or I would really have to deal with. And at, at that point, it makes you start grasping concepts of like, you know what? As a security guy, I probably wouldn't put my pistol here. I may want to wear it this way because that's going to bind me up if I try to get out of the car and have to draw my weapon Um, all the way down to the point of like, maybe I shouldn't put my purse in the passenger seat. When I go to get out, I'm going to slide it up underneath the driver's seat before I step out of the gas pump. You know, it's just to get you. We were a very huge proponent of trying to teach people how to think and not what to think because everybody wants that. Hey, give me my steps one, two, three, and I'll be fine. Um, and unfortunately, the world just doesn't work like that because we can't prep you for every variable, every scenario. Uh, but if we can teach you how to think, then you can process that before you get into it. Um, and like I say, give you that leg up, take that element of surprise away from anything that pops up. You know, that's great. And uh, understanding how to think as opposed to simply just, you know, being told what to think is especially important. Um, having those critical thinking skills that allow for the ability to be flexible and fluid within a variety of environments um, if you're, you know, traveling a lot, much like yourself, funny enough, at this point right now, you're on the road, um, as we record this episode, actually. So, um, you know, speaking of being on the road in a protective security context, um, security advances are huge. And when it comes to hotels, uh, they are particularly important. And, uh, I think that there are a lot of assumptions, uh, when it comes to hotel security and kind of just how insecure they actually are, both physically and electronically. Um, so as someone who travels through the country uh, quite frequently and spends you know a significant amount of time bouncing hotel to hotel, can you provide our audience with you know some of your situational awareness tips? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first thing, I, I won't stay on a low level floor. Um, and I also don't go to the highest floor. Um, I will literally look into the area and see what the emergency services capability can be. So if I have to get out of a window on the fourth floor because the building happens to be on fire and the ladder only goes to the second, well, then I know I'm, there's going to be some free fall moments in there, right? Um, and I don't want to do that. So at my age, I'm like, I can't take a fall like that anymore like I used to, right? So, so I gauge that, you know, like what's the level of which I can I can be to emergency services and also not be at a point where somebody could break in from the ground through a window directly into my room. Um, so I, and that's how I gauge that. Personally, I don't like to be near the elevators, one, because it's just noisy and I just want to be able to sleep at night. Um, and I use both locks and the doors. Um, they make great uh, travel alarms now that look like little wedges that you can put in front of the door that'll go off at like, it's crazy. It's like 500 to 1,000 decibels or it's something just nerve wracking, right? Like if you don't wake up from that, then you've got larger problems, you know? It, it's just those little those little travel tidbits. Um, and also when I'm getting into the hotel, I pay attention to who is in the lobby because a lot of times uh, in foreign travel, you know, just being an American is automatically going to make you a target because they're assuming, you know, a certain level of money, uh, accessibility and so on, and you're worth X amount of whatever, you know? Um, depending on where you're at, South America or wherever, you know. So I always try to pay attention to who's in the lobby, who actually works here, especially if it's uniform. I'm always looking at name tags and so on. And then uh, and I pay attention to who's like looking around on the outside, which depends on like where I'm going to park my vehicle if I'm renting it and so on. And I'll tell you from that, uh, like we don't wash our cars, uh, leave them dirty. 
So that way, if I walk out and there's fingerprints that don't match mine off the back bumper, I'm like, did somebody put something underneath my car? You know, that kind of thing. So it's just, it's just little tidbits uh, that I've just kind of picked up over the years to kind of be like, hey, here's some things that you shouldn't do. Um, and then also, it, it's nothing to walk by, take your phone out, and take a quick picture of the fire plan, right? Just take a picture of the escape route. You can just look at it and be like, all right, I'm making a right when I go out. So if it's at three o'clock in the morning alert and you got to evacuate, you automatically know I'm making a right and I'm going to the exit. That just adds, you know, increases the time you have to react to it. So that's that's really about it. Uh, and honestly, if somebody knocks at the door and I'm not expecting anybody, sometimes I don't even look through the people. I'll just automatically call down the lobby and be like, hey, I got somebody knocking on my doors or somebody here and have them confirm that, yeah, you know, service is bringing a blanket or something. Um, it's just whatever additional steps that keeps that barrier between them and me. Um, and if at all costs, I'll just avoid it. Too many times movies always play into the, they go for the action. You know, they want to do the John Wick, the whatever, you know. Um, and I'm like, no, I don't have time for that. If I know that there's something coming, then I'm like, then why even be in the area? I'll just, I'll just maneuver out of the way uh, and go somewhere else. And I cannot stress enough, like do as much research before you leave the house. Um, even when we were traveling to uh, parts of like Africa and things like that, it's, you can literally do uh, 80% of everything from the house before you ever go. And then you're just kind of working a little bit to refine once you get on the ground, just takes that much stress off you. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the, the pre, pre-travel research, the pre-travel planning, um, I mean, they're all things that can be done by anybody. I mean, you don't necessarily need to have a deep security background to have a good kind of travel awareness. Um, and I mean, I was a couple of weeks ago out for a, a week contract in Florida, helping the team get ready to go to Australia. They're out there now. Um, non-security professionals, some of them pretty astute, you know, situational awareness individuals. Um, but again, it's all simple stuff. It's just, it has to be done and they're out there now not having any issues. So it's, it's, it's stuff that really makes your travel easy, especially when you're going in and out of country. Um, you know, the visa thing alone is tough for people. Some countries don't make it necessarily easy to understand what you need depending on what your travel is. So doing things early and having time to do it is incredibly important and, and is a part of that pre-travel planning um, that really makes those uh, those trips go smoothly. And uh, and Chris, before we, we jump in to uh, some other topics that I want to discuss with you today, I want to take a moment to listen to a message from our sponsor today, the Texas Executive Protection Professionals Organization. Um, great organization for individuals who either live or also work as protectors in Texas. I know we got a lot of people on travel teams out there. Um, So for our listeners, don't go too far. We will be back with more from Chris on the topic of situational awareness. So hang tight and we'll be back in just a moment. This episode of the Global Security and Protection Group podcast is sponsored by the Texas Executive Protection Professionals. TEPP. This organization was founded by Michael Gonzalez, a native Texan and longtime security professional. Michael saw the expansion of executive protection in Texas as the perfect opportunity to create a statewide networking group for Texas executive protection professionals. The organization holds two mixers a year with the mission of providing a space for protectors to make meaningful connections, build relationships, and create future work opportunities. You can follow the TEPP on their LinkedIn page for more information on upcoming Mixer events. We have provided a link to their page in our show notes for those interested in this organization. If you are a Texas protector or travel into the great state of Texas as part of your executive protection portfolio, then this is the organization for you. And from all of us here at the GSPG podcast, we are grateful to have their support 
for our show. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. Uh, again, this is your host, Ron Jacobus, and we have been speaking with Christopher Powell uh, from the Akiri Group today about situational awareness for both security professionals as well as non-security practitioners. And as we discussed at the kind of top half of the podcast, situational awareness has a broad range of applications and context to be used throughout. And it's not something that's exclusively limited to security professionals to deploy. Everyday people can use this as well to have a better sense of their environment and move about uh, their day uh, with a little bit more intention. So now, Chris, uh, you and I were actually first connected through a LinkedIn uh, introduction. And uh, since then, I took a moment uh, before the show today to read through some of your posts, um, of which you've got just some great content. But one post uh, stuck out in particular, and uh, where you highlighted a mentor who had given you some uh, worthwhile advice pertaining to items you should carry on your person. And uh, it really it wasn't an abundance of stuff. In fact, it was an extremely simple loadout uh, consist consisting of just three items, a pen or pencil, a notepad, or three by five index cards, and a watch. Um, so I love the quote at the end of this post where you uh, you wrote, professionals think about logistics and amateurs think about tactics. Um, I would love to hear more about this mentor and I'm assuming that you have all three of these items on you now um, as you're out on the road while we're chatting. So who was this mentor? And uh, how have these three items aided you and shaped your situational awareness capabilities during uh, your assignments ever since you met this mentor? Oh, wow. That was a really long time ago. So um, I was a very young, um, soon-to-be squad leader in a scout platoon. So I was in the, the low, low level, you know, still carrying heavy things for other people kind of stuff. And uh, I got caught one day, was like, hey, I need you to go do this. You know, it was a several tasks, right? And I'm doing my best to memorize what I can. And uh, needless to say, um, I was about 90% effective. Uh, and the goal was to be 100% effective. Uh, so the platoon sergeant was like, let me talk to you real quick. Do you think you would have been able to do all this better had you wrote it down? And I was like, yeah, Roger that, you know, and uh, he was like, okay, because there's three things a leader carries with them. He's like something to write with, something to write on, and you need a timepiece. And I was like, okay. Um, and then later on, uh, we were doing something and uh, he was like, hey, you're really good at, uh, you know, battle drill six alphas, room clearing, you know, do some CQC. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I got a lot of reps in, you know, whatever. And he goes, just remember though, professionals think logistics and averages think tactics. So he's kind of kind of jabbing me again, you know, like, ah, it's great. You're good at that. But logistically, what do you do for the resupply? You know, what do you do for this? What do you do for that? How do you stay in the fight? You know, kind of thing. And that, that really obviously, you know, stuck with me. That was from like probably 2001, you know, but that's been something I've been really strict about for a very long time, you know, um, to the point where my, my son's about to be 16. And uh, anytime we do something that's going to take a significant amount of information, I'm like, Hey, are you writing this down? You know, um, and nowadays, sometimes writing it down is like, yeah, yeah, I got my phone, you know, like I'm, I'm taking notes, you know, uh, and I'm like, I guess that's fine as long as you reference it. Um, but but those three things are just they're key. I, I think if you don't have all three of those, there's just going to be a moment of failure. Right. Uh, you're either going to miss miss that timing. You know, you don't know how much you got. Right. Um, and you may dedicate too much time to doing it. Not realizing you're about to run out um, or like I did, you know, you're just going to miss like 
the fact that, hey, I, I just didn't get all the information or I got it. I just wasn't able to retain it. Um, and not to mention, you know, communication is, well, for lack of a better word, it's just important, right? It's paramount in pretty much everything. Um, so even if I have to relay it, if I got a way to write it down, man, I can write it down, tear it out and be like, here, this is your exact instructions. I need you to make this happen, you know, to ensure that there's no loss, you know, there's no misinterpretation, right? And that, that has just been, that's been huge to me, right? Um, so anytime I'm, I'm talking and uh, giving a class, I'm just like, hey, can I take notes? Man, I'm like, yeah, by all means, you know, take as many notes as you know you want to. Let me know. I'll give you more notes, you know, because it, it's just the only way to do it, right? So, I mean, even as we're talking now, once we hang up, you know, we'll probably be able to recall 60, 70% of it, but there's still going to be a loss, you know, some information that later on we're going to go, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember we did that, you know. Um, but as long as we're writing it down, recording it, you know, and understanding where we're at, I mean, that's, that's dynamic. I mean, that's huge. That's just, that just makes the world go around to me. So that's why it stuck with me. And that's why I've, I've just always carried it forward. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Everything aside from, you know, those tools become a bonus, right? And as you know, for security professionals, especially traveling international, um, you can't really have a lot of the tools that you're used to having at your disposal uh, domestically. And you really got to just rely on being a master of logistics. And uh, like I said, you guys place an emphasis on threat avoidance. And I know Hollywood likes to, you know, instead focus on the action and needs its characters to be right there in the action. Um, but in reality, and in our world, um, the name of the game is threat avoidance and threat mitigation. Um, now with that, you guys in the training iterations will look at being efficient with security awareness. How can an individual move through their day and not get bogged down by all the noise that they're intaking, but instead really become efficient in the craft that you guys are teaching. Yeah. So, so with us, you know, like I said earlier, it's one of those, we want to train you how to think to get you to the point where you, you don't have to walk out and you're just constantly scanning and you're just, you're consciously trying to absorb as much information as possible. You know, um, when I first stepped into the role of counter Intel and we were doing like surveillance detection, I, I was literally doing that, you know, I'm trying to catalog every person around me, you know, every vehicle and so on. And, you know, and we're in areas like Washington, D.C. And, and places, you know, it's millions of cars, right? Um, and it's just, you you can never, never get as much information as you can. You just tons of people, right? So it's really just kind of understanding how to baseline the environment um, so that way the threat will reveal itself um, and just relaxing enough to say, hey, listen, if you know how to do proper surveillance detection, if you will, for an example, um, the threat's going to reveal itself. There's just going to be those anomalies that are going to stick out and you catalog that, you know, and if it's conducted properly, you're going to get that confirmation that, hey, they're either on you or they're not on you. And then you can go do what it is that you're, you know, you're doing. So I try to approach the training the same way with any other uh, element. So whether you're, like I said, you're leaving work and you're just heading home, you got to stop and grab gas or you're, you know, going into a grocery store or it's uh, midday and you're just going or late at night, like you're just super tired, you know, whatever. Um, it's just being able to say, hey, you know, first things first is, you know what normal looks like because your body's seen it, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, right? You got plenty of reps in uh, and just trusting that um, and learning how to understand what that gut feeling is. You know, we've always heard that, right? You know, when you read these like combat stories or these law enforcement engagements, like I just had this gut feeling that something wasn't right or that guy was up to something. The nine times out of 10, they're 100% correct. Don't know what it was, but something told him, right? Um, and it could have been something as normal as like, you know, his posture was different than what it should have been. You just didn't realize it, but your, your primal instinct, your limbic system was telling you like, Hey, you need to move. Like that guy's up to something or she's not right. Or 
the environment's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and that's what we try to get across for them to understand, like, hey, it really does work. You don't have to apply a thousand techniques all day long and just live in this life of paranoia and hysteria to like try to see something. It's it's going to reveal itself and just being prepared to deal with it when it happens and understand what your body's going to do to it. And that's where we kind of dive into, like I said, you know, I always say the limbic system, but we actually do go in depth on like the autonomic nervous system and sympathetic and parasympathetic and so on. So we, we get a little science in there. So you kind of understand like, Hey, what to expect? Why, why are my hands shaking? Why did I freeze for a moment? You know, or, you know, why did all of a sudden I feel like I had tunnel vision or, you know, you feel like, uh, you know, I lost sound, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, we talk about all that. Um, so that way you're mentally prepared. If it does go bad, Hey man, those things are normal. You can control that. And this is how you can maneuver through it. So. Oh, absolutely, man. I just go back to the need for repetition, right? Things are going to feel more natural the more you do them. Um, and I mean, I've done everything from the little games on the commute home, run and play to my head or make some models of cars, memorizing the information and then uh, doing recall games later on once I arrive at my destination to see how much of it I could accurately recall. And, uh, you know, from a situational context, I think, you know, we subconsciously do these things so often through our, our day and our lives without really ever putting thought into the application use for them. And I feel like it can get daunting when, you know, somebody like yourself is opening up that third eye, so to speak, and uh, people realize what kind of applications and capabilities they really do have. Um, so from a perspective as an instructor, what are some little micro practices that students can do um, outside of the classroom? And, you know, what little things can you do when you're moving through your day um, to help with these recall capabilities and make them a little bit easier and therefore, you know, over time, just make things a little bit more natural for people? Yeah, I got to tell you. So uh, one thing that we actually did deliberately, uh, we call it Kim's Games. Um, and essentially it was something as simple as like you walk into a room, uh, there's a blanket on the table, you pull the blanket back, you know, several items on it, get a few seconds to look at it, cover back up with the blanket and you go about your day. Um, and then spontaneously they're like, Hey, you need to write a list of everything you saw on the blanket. And then you're like, Oh, you know, and you really don't at first you're like, Oh, it's crazy. You know, how am I going to do it? Then if you start thinking about it, you know, close your eyes, you kind of start picturing it again. You, you don't realize how much information you're actually absorbing, you know? And the way to prove that is, you walk back in there and pull the blanket back and you have those aha, like, oh yeah, I forgot. Or, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. You forgot about it, but your, your mind knew because you recognized it, you know, that means you have seen it before and it, and it was in there somewhere, you know? Um, and then, and that's how you, you start getting those things. And then it's understanding that like it, all your senses are in play. Um, and most people, you know, observation is obviously the key one, right? I mean, that's, that's the big thing, right? Ours in the front of our head for a reason, but it's being able to, to listen to certain things and those smells, um, so in the military, you know, when we do ground reconnaissance, you know, when they drop us off, we go into what we call seals, uh, and it's stop, look, listen, and smell. Um, and you literally take a knee, you know, close your fire and eye, uh, and you just take a moment and just as wild as this may sound, you just kind of get one with the environment. Right. And you just kind of understand like, this is what it smells like to be out here. This is what the noises are. This is what all the normal sounds like. And then once you're good, you know, two to five minutes, you can get up and you start moving. And then once there's an anomaly to what you've established as the norm, and when you deliberately did it, and you'll pick up on it super fast, you know. And, you know, they used to tell us until I was actually in combat was like, you know, the loudest thing you'll ever hear at night when you're trying to take in a, in a hide is going from semi or from safe to semi. And you hear that metallic click. You're like, why is that so loud now? It was never that loud in my life, you know. Um, but it, it's just those things get heightened. Uh, and it's the same when you're out and about 
most people don't realize it, but they're taking all that information in, you know, like, you know, you're sitting at a red light, radio's going, you're having a great conversation and all of a sudden you key in on there's a siren, you know, and then you start looking around for where it's at, right? Because the hearing just picked it up, you know, before you actually knew it. Um, and then you're like, well, I'm not driving through this intersection. I got to wait a minute. I'm trying to figure out where this, you know, this first spotter's coming from. Um, and it's just those little things that we do all the time, you know, or in the distance, you're like, that's weird. You know, it looks like smoke, you know, that's not really fog, you know, or something like that. Uh, you'll key in on it. Next thing you know, you smell it. And you're like, oh yeah, somebody's burning something. Right. Um, we do it all the time. We just, we've never done it purposefully. Right. It's just always been that, that unconscious competence. Right. Um, and now we're just letting you be aware like, Hey, it's already there. Now you're just, you're aware of it, trust it. And then that's how you're going to move forward and help navigate. Now that's a really great breakdown and, uh, kind of a good segue to my next question. Actually, um, you've been in this world for 20 plus years, security professionals across the board have varied experiences. Um, but you know, those who are most important to us are usually not the ones we're working to protect, right? It's our spouses, our significant others, kids, immediate and extended family members. And it's kind of a rarity uh, for these individuals to work in the same bubble like Chris and Anita Grow that we've had on the podcast before. Um, you have the skill at being an instructor in this domain who teaches both security and non-security students. So for these protectors that are listening today who have family members who are not working in this world, I've mentioned on previous podcasts, episodes, my girlfriend who comes from a florist background. And uh, when we first met, she had an okay situational awareness, you know, kind of capability skill set because she lived in a, you know, bigger city with an above average level of crime um, compared to the national average. But, you know, we slowly uh, worked at building on that foundation together, you know, ensure that the basics have been covered and understood. And now with kids, it's, you know, really about building that foundation early so they can just naturally grow up with these capabilities and have them just kind of inherently built and hardwired into them even before they truly understand the why. So for a listening audience who are, you know, maybe wondering what they can do to help their family members become more situationally aware, um, what are some things that they can, uh, you know, kind of assist them with to be better competent when they're just not around? I know for me, so deploying a lot, you know, when I would get ready to leave and we lived in an area where um, we were in between like the D.C. and Baltimore area. So to say that there's not like violent crime or the propensity thereof is a little naive, right? So I'd always talk to my wife uh, and really we worked on what we call anticipatory elements or triggers, right? To basically be like, hey, if you get here and you start seeing this, you just need to go ahead and get out of the area. And it really kept from having to go into the here's the why and here's the breakdown. Or if you continue to move forward, this is what you need to do to navigate, you know, instead of going into like all these tactics and techniques, it was just creating triggers in certain areas to be like, if this happens, it's better just to go ahead and get out of there. Um, and I did the same thing with the kids, you know, like we would go into like a mall and I'm like, Hey, if you hear what sounds like a gunshot, you need to automatically grab the hand of mom or dad. Uh, and you just need to be prepared to move as fast as we're moving in the same direction. Right. Like don't ask why. We'll explain it when we get outside, you know, kind of thing. Um, and it's sad, you know, that we actually have to have those conversations, right? But it's better for them to be like, okay. And then it's at least there. So that way, if it does happen, you know, there's not that what's going on or the, uh, or they just freeze or they like, what's going on? Or they walk toward it, you know, heaven forbid. But, um, and it's just creating those elements of like, um, I always put to like a race, right? Uh, whether you're swimming or you're a sprinter, right? There's a reason why they use the gunfire and they don't say go. 
or they show you a green light like you do in a car, right? You can't hear over the engine, right? Um, so it's a lot of noise. So um, I play heavy on that. Um, and that's what I always try to tell them. I'm like, listen, just because you don't come from a security background, you kind of know if you hear certain things, you should probably go. Um, Walmart's a great example. Hate to throw like the name brand out there, you know, but like just large like grocery stores. Um, if I walk in and I can hear voices get a little loud and it's not laughing or joking, then we're probably just going to walk back out. I'm not even going to worry about going in the store. It's going to it's open 24 hours. I go back later, you know, um, and it's just those things, just creating those triggers that I don't even need to process all those elements to try to figure out what's going on. I just know something's not right instantly and it's clearly going to get violent. So let's just go ahead and get out of the area um, and just relay in that information as much as I can to those that didn't grow up in it or they don't practice it at the current moment. So keep it simple. Oh yeah, man. I love the kiss method. Uh, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, just because, you know, it keeps things as simple as possible for me. And, uh, that goes for everything like my firearms platform and, and whatnot, because I mean, you see it today. A lot of people are migrating over to some pretty fancy platforms and equipment. Um, and while that's okay, got nothing against it. I personally like to run things as simplistic as possible because I just don't want to waste any time or energy in that department. Um, reliability really is just key for me. Um, and I have a similar philosophy across board, including, you know, situational awareness, try to keep things simple as possible and not try to overcomplicate things. Um, especially when it's not about me instead, it's about my client. What are their needs? How can my actions impact their safety and security posture? You know, got to be working off of what's relevant and important to mitigate their security threats. Uh, this might be entirely different from what you personally are used to or what other previous or even parallel contracts and clients uh, specific needs are. So it's just important to go beyond the environment and understanding that, um, but also important to understanding your client and their specific needs within that environment. So, uh, you know, before we wrap up this episode, Chris, uh, I'd actually like to dive in a little bit and discuss some more of the courses and training breakdown for the Akiri group uh, for those listening today who are interested in hearing a little bit about what you guys have to offer and uh, are thinking about maybe taking a class or two. Yeah, perfect. Um, so obviously on the website, um, on the left-hand side is going to be the menu. Uh, and I always tell everybody, just look at the situation awareness specialist. That's that's the actual first course, you know, the baseline. Um, it's a four-hour module. Um, obviously, it's teach for 50 minutes, break for 10 minutes, come back. Um, what I love about uh, a curry group and what we've done is you actually take an examination and the exam goes before the examiner's board right um and then they take a look at it and they're like okay you passed and then you actually get certified um and the best part about that is is once you have a certificate you're part of the what we call the sas family you don't pay for a continuing education so anything related to the baseline or where you're at you know i mean obviously if you're not an advanced practitioner you can't take part in those but Anything that's along the uh, the baseline situation awareness specialist, you know, the continuing ed's free. Like we just don't want to nickel and dime everybody. We want to keep everybody in there in it to win it. Like you know, constantly you know trying to gain professionalism. Um, and then if you decide that hey, I want to be an advanced practitioner, it's the same process. You just go back, sign up for the class, take it, and then sky's the limit. And then you're continuing ed for both, right? Um, and then from there, we even offer what they call a master practitioner. Uh, which is an invitation only. Um, and it goes all the way to the point of like writing like a thesis and you got to defend your thesis. I mean, they, we've really put a lot of things in place to be like, hey, we, we want you to have to prove a concept that you you learn what we taught 
We want to see you apply it, that you fully grasp everything about it. So we feel comfortable saying, hey, man, yeah, you're you're good. Take the certification and go forth and do great things, you know, because um, too many times people log in to do an online course. They get the cert at the end of it and they roll. And it's kind of like, well, you really can't fail it. You just need to complete it. Um, and this one's completely not structured that way because we want you if you're going to pay for it, take the time to do it. And we owe it to you to give you the best material absolutely as possible. So it's one of those like, you know, like we're, we're going to promise you a certain level, but I'm telling you right now, we're going to over deliver. By the end of it, you're going to be like, that is way more than what I thought I was going to get. Uh, and the way we approach it, we teach it. Um, it's geared to get you through the exam, but the exam is challenging because you're going to have to pay attention. Right. Um, but with that, like I said, you know, it comes the workbook, the material and so on. And, and you keep that stuff. And then the continuing ed is just there. Um I think it's fantastic that you can take the course, pass the exam, and then the next thing you know, they're like, hey, you know, Mr. Procura, which is a master practitioner, retired CIA, um, is going to give it a continuing, a continuing ed class on, you know, you name it. And then it's like, oh, I'm just going to sign up for it. And you just jump on Zoom and it's a live environment and you're literally listening to the subject matter expert on that, talking about who knows what, because the guy has decades of, you know, material, right? Um and it's all at your fingertips, you know, and all you did was take one course just to gain entry to the whole thing. Um, and then we do break it all the way down to a two hour intro um, where we do that, plus the advanced or excuse me, the applied verbal de-escalation. Um, and then that allows us to basically show you like, hey, here's some techniques that you can use, which I know law enforcement gets a lot of it now. A um, lot more than what it used to be. My brother actually teaches it for a police academy. Um, and I kind of went over some of the information with him and he was like, dude, that stuff is spot on with where we're at right now. Um, so with that being said, we also go back and we revamp our courses a lot as well. Um, so it's not like you take it now and in three years, like it's the same old data. No, I mean, if things advance and they change and there's a better practice, we're implementing, we're going right to it. And then we're going to send that material out to be like, Hey, there's updates to this and so on. And maybe we cover it in a continuing ed class. Uh, cause we just want to keep everybody progressing, keep everybody engaged and so on. Um, but the website's super easy to navigate. It's the Curry Group LLC.us. Um, and then once you're in it, like I said, the menu's on the left and it's literally, they've broken it down. You just click on whatever it is you need. It'll explain it all to you. Our bios are on there as well for the instructors. Um, and then obviously I'm on LinkedIn. So you can reach out to me directly. I'll help you navigate it. It's absolutely too easy. Um, I mean, I just, I wish everybody would take part in it. It's just one of those things. It's like, um, like we talked about the other day on the phone, you know, like basic first aid, right? I don't know why everybody in the world's not CPR and AED certified. Everybody should be baseline in situational awareness, you know? Oh, exactly. And I really feel like uh, every kid going through K through 12 should have a strong grasp on medical, you know, basic medical response. It's a core life-saving skill. And it shocks me that, you know, schools place an emphasis on teaching, you know, an abundance of other things. But, you know, that's a that's a topic for another day because I'm pretty sure we could jump pretty far deep into the weeds on this one. Um, but uh, but to your credit, the continuing education component of your training philosophy is relatively unique. And again, situational awareness is more of a journey thing as opposed to like a strict destination. Um, there are always things to learn, methods to refine and things to unrust. Um, you can just you can't really just walk through it one time and there you go. You're good for eternity type of thing. Um, but uh, but with that, as we close, I mentioned earlier that we met through LinkedIn and, uh, you know, we will definitely add your profile information to our show notes so people can reach out to you with questions and further inquiries. 
they might have on uh, on this topic and more. So, uh, so Chris, uh, as we close, I wanna I wanna ask you this: um, in your courses, when you do instruct students who encounter a situation where they break glass, where they have to act, what advice do you give them? Yeah, um, one thing that we always do if it, if you do find yourself in that worst case scenario where you know flight or freeze just ain't working and you and you got to engage you you got to have that will to win right you got to have the will to win uh there's always a reason why you need to stay around um and you got to find that and you got to know what it is before you ever end up in that subject you know like for me it's you know kids in the family right i don't want to leave them hanging so um just find what that is for you um and let that be your driving force so when you're going through this training uh, you understand like there's a reason, right? Like it's to keep you around longer because you're worth it, right? You're hundred percent worth it. Um, and, and that's really it. And, and honestly, just whatever you get out of this, you know, share it, share it as much as you can, you know, like, like pay it forward. Um, and that's what I love the best about it. I was able to leave the world behind, uh, or the life that I had before. Um, and now I still just get to keep giving back. Never thought I'd be here doing this. Um, but I've, I've just been blessed in that portion to be able to say like, Hey, you know, it's not just being spent on me and then it's just going to stay with me. Like I actually get to give it out as much as I possibly can. So that's awesome, man. And, uh, there's just nothing better than finding your why and purpose in life. And it sounds like you have, uh, found that and are firmly footed where you need to be. So, uh, hats off to you, man. And, and really to your entire team over at the Akuri group, uh, you guys are doing great work out there, educating on situational awareness. Um, it has really been a pleasure to sit down with you today. And uh, I look forward to sitting down in a class myself, hopefully in the near future, and experiencing uh, what your courses have to offer firsthand. And, uh, and with that, we will let you get on with the rest of your day. Really appreciate your time and insight with us here today. And uh, for all of our listeners, this has been another episode of the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. Until next time, stay safe.